Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. You almost got me today because I kind of forgot what day it was. I knew I had to get up and record a show, and then during my preparation, thinking, man, it's already Thursday. It's time for the draft. It's not. It's not Thursday, but we'll talk a little bit about the draft. We talked a lot about it on Monday. We'll talk a little bit today. It's uh, you know everybody's kind of getting their their final predictions in their their final mock drafts together, and so we've got some news in that respect. But also, there's a uh, a lot of other things to talk about. There's been uh, some some new information about the probability of a football season. I want to say from the beginning of this, I have consistently said that we're going to play football in some form or fashion this fall. Somebody said, well, maybe we do it in January. Yeah, I, I don't expect any of that. I expect us to play football this fall. And now there is some data, courtesy of our pal Brett McMurphy, that there the, the wide-ranging opinions among college football policymakers is that we will play football this year. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into some other things. I also today, we're not going to have a top 10 list, but we're going to have kind of a variation of that. I'm going to give you my all-time Mississippi State baseball team, the first team. I'm going to give you 
if I if I could pick from the assortment of players that have worn the maroon and white, that have that have played with pride with the M over S on their chest, this is who I would pick. If I was filling out my lineup card, these are the people that I would pick. And so we'll get into that a little bit later. That'll that'll be kind of that'll be our top ten list for today. Now, I get a lot of people that have said, Steve, will you talk about this? I'm going to do my best to get to them all because during this quarantine stuff, we've got uh, you know, plenty of time to kind of have some filler. But uh, but today, because it, this should have been, uh, we should be getting ready for the home stretch of SEC play. And so I thought, you know what, I really miss baseball. And uh, many other people have put out who their, their favorite players are and that sort of stuff. And so I, I'm going to give you my list. But before we get to all that, I want to thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Man, I tell you what, great, great, great contributors to our community here in Starkville and over in Tupelo. You know, a, a family of restaurants really that have uh, you know been synonymous with quality here in the Golden Triangle for a long time. You can now get a great family special at Bulldog Burger Company for Bulldog Burgers. That's the signature Bulldog with four orders of fries and a large gallon of tea. Sweet tea for $29.95. It almost sounds too good to be true, but it is. And as I've shared many times on the show, you know, for moms, if you got smaller kids, this turns into dinner tonight, lunch tomorrow for those kids because the portions are outstanding. You, you can't beat them. Four signature Bulldog burgers, four orders of fries, large gallon of sweet tea. You can't, you can't beat it. Two locations now to serve you. The flagship on University Drive right here in Stark, Vegas, and on Gloucester Street in Tupelo. Bulldog Burger Company, a place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. So let's get into the topic du jour, which uh, obviously is the probability of a college football season. And we need this. The, the American collective psyche. We need college football. But more importantly, there is a bigger picture here. Our economy, the American economy, is so dependent on fall sports. We buy jerseys, we go to ball games, we get hotel rooms, we go to restaurants, we go get concessions. And it's not just the physical attendance. You know, there's all this uh, you know ad revenue and, and all of those things, the RPMs and things that go along with all of that stuff. You know, we need college football and pro football on television. We need people in the stands. We need people coming to Starkville to stop by Campus Bookmart and places like that and buy themselves some new, fresh Mississippi State gear. We need that. College football gets us all out of the house. It gets us on the road. You sell gasoline. You sell tires, everything. I mean, there's so many things that are wrapped up in Mississippi State fans and college football fans around the country and the obsession that we have to pull for our teams. And so in the event that we didn't have a football season, you want to talk about bleak. You want to talk about financial shortfalls. They would happen all over the country. And in many respects, many athletic departments would essentially be bankrupt. Now, I understand that Mississippi State has a pretty substantial rainy day fund. But that in and of itself is not enough to sustain jobs for many people. And so we need to play football. We're going to play football. We don't know the parameters behind that yet, but we're going to play football. Let me read you what Brad McMurphy did. Brad McMurphy has been covering college football forever and a day. 
He is one of the, the few college football writers that I follow on Twitter, and he's bounced around a little bit. He was at ESPN. He's now with Stadium. But Brad is the guy, like if we ever we ever worry about getting beat on something, like major breaking news involving Mississippi State, Brett's the guy that always makes me a little bit nervous. Because Brett's got a lot of connections throughout the industry, a lot of connections with the agents and that sort of stuff. And Brett is a guy that people trust. So let's jump into this thing. Brett, they had an anonymous survey, Stadium did. They sent it out to all the athletic directors. And, uh, and so I'm going to read you some of this. You can go find it yourself over at uh, watchstadium.com. But also, if, if you don't want to go to all that trouble, We've got a report that'll lead you to it right there on the front of Gene's page. Right there on the front of Gene's page, we have a 247 Sports Network article that references Brett's article, and you can find a link to find the article itself there. So I'm going to read you some of the highlights here because I think they're very, very important. Before I get to that, I want to make a couple of disclaimers here, okay? There have been some people that, that are very, very uh, connected with college football, and a lot of people put their trust in them. You know, there are people that are color commentators. There's been, uh, you know, uh, I guess Brad Nessler and, and uh, Kirk Herbstreit and many others that have offered their opinions. But it's just their opinion. And people say, well, you know, Steve, they're, they're, in, they're in the media. Well, so am I. And so I put a lot more credence in the word of athletic directors and the decision makers of college football than I do anybody in the media. Okay, and I think this is, you know, again, it's still somebody's opinion, but the conference commissioners and athletic directors, those people are going to be privy to information that those in the media are not. Their opinions are a lot more educated than ours. Because anybody can get on Twitter and say, hey, listen, I don't think we're going to play college football. And some of that is a self fulfilling prophecy from negative people. That's their hope. As I've mentioned, it's it's incredible to me how you know the people that were worried about us losing all of our recruits to Lane Kiffin back in December. The same people worried we're not going to play college football. Chronic worriers worry about everything, regardless of the topic. But with all that said, this is the opinions, the collective opinion of college football ads around the country. After weeks of and this is, this is from the article. After weeks of uncertainty surrounding the upcoming college football season, 99% of the football bowl subdivision athletic directors polled by stadium believe a season will be played in one form or another. 99%. Not 50, not 75, not 81, 99% believe we're going to play college football this year. I agree with them. Let's get into uh, to some of the numbers here. So 28% of Power 5 athletic directors believe the season starts as scheduled. I think that might be a little bit optimistic. But 28% believe that we're going to start as scheduled. 23% of Power 5 ADs say we may just play conference play only. I don't agree with that. 35% of Power 5 ADs believe that we'll have a 12-game schedule starting in October, November. However, 41% of all ADs believe we're going to play a full 12-game schedule. There's been this, uh, you know, idea or some theory that, you know what, maybe we're better off playing in the spring. 
only 3% of FBS college ADs believe that we'll actually play conference only in the spring. And there's a, 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 a smaller percentage, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, like 10% of Power 5 ADs believe we'll play a full game 12 schedule in the spring. Only 1% believe there'll be no college football. 1%. And again, these are the people that are on the conference calls with your conference commissioners. They're on the phone with you know, the NCAA people. They're on the phone with the their own medical experts. 1% believe that there won't be football. So let's get into some of the comments here. And, and again, this is an anonymous survey. Okay, And some people spoke with the condition of anonymity. Quote, given the medical and governmental leadership opinions, it is reasonable to believe that some compromise to the start of the season lies ahead, one power five AB said. So does that mean that we, we move it back a little bit? Does that mean that we abbreviate the schedule? Don't know. But we're going to play college football. Does that mean that we have a limited number of fans? Does that mean we don't have fans? Does that mean that we have, uh, you know, some restrictions? Probably. But we're going to play football. 61% of the ADs polled predict a season won't start until October or November. And there are some, of course, thinks it goes over to the spring. So, you know, based on the consensus opinion, we're going to play football, but chances are it won't start on time. It won't start August 29th. And you know what? That's okay. I wouldn't mind it being a little cooler anyway. Not to mention, and I had this discussion with a friend of mine earlier today, there's a lot of dead time in December anyway. You know, we all had, we had the 15 bowl practices and all that. You know, maybe you eliminate some of that. Maybe you push everything back three weeks. Maybe we start middle of September. And then you could still get the bowls played on schedule. And so those are all, there's a lot of moving parts to this. Because in order for this to work, everybody's got to move back. I mean, there's so many schedules in place. There's money that's been play, paid. There's contracts that are signed. And so everything's got to be probably pushed back uniformly. If not, it'd be absolute chaos. But I think the bigger issue is when you look at all this, you begin to think to yourself, okay, there are some people out there that know a whole lot more about this than we do that are optimistic we're going to play football. That's really the, the, center, the center of it all. That's, that's the discussion. Uh, to get into this stadium thing a little bit more, 130 ADs were contacted, 114 of them participated. So it wasn't like, you know, sometimes you read these, you know, college ADs say this, and it's like 20 people. It's 114. Very comprehensive, wide-reaching poll. And here's the bigger issue. I think when you begin to look at this, as I kind of outlined before the segment began, is that here's a quote, anonymous quote from Power 5 AD. There's too much money at stake. It impacts too many people. If there's no football, we will have bigger issues. This will be worse than the Great Depression and make the 1930s look like a cakewalk. I 100% agree with that. Now, will there be some people stay home? Absolutely. There are going to be a lot of people that are going to let you guys be the guinea pigs. And say, so, you know what, I, I'm glad that we're going to have football, but I'm going to watch it at home, and you guys can go. And then if you guys are okay and you don't get sick, then I'll go next year. There's going to be some of that. 
there's some other people again they're of course advocating for a spring season because the, the the fear among many people is that you know what we talk about flu season you know we're going to have flu and COVID season kind of moving forward is this going to be part of our you know our existence this point forward that we're always going to have to be mindful of this you know of course at some point there'll be a vaccine there'll be better treatment they're saying, you know what, maybe we wait till spring when things begin to warm up a little bit. But I think, you know, one of the things that we're learning is that, you know, that heat has not eliminated this virus like some suggested that it would. But one Power 5 AD said spring gives us the best chance to have a full season. It's been hard for many to process this, but the longer this goes, the more this will become the best option. I don't know that I agree with that. You know, it will be interesting. We'll have football, baseball, men's, women's basketball all going at the same time. But, but the bottom line is is that uh, we're going to do our best to have a full schedule. We're going to do our best to play football. And listen, there's going to be a lot of people involved in all this to ensure that the players and fans stay safe. You know, the, What's going to happen, and this is the, the, the big concern here, is what happens the first time that we have a player test positive for COVID-19? Then what do we do? Do we cancel football again? Do we all go back indoors? You know, I think, no, we don't. I think what, what you do at that point is you quarantine that person and then you closely monitor everybody else because people get flu all the time. And go ahead and save your outrage. Steve, it's, it's more dangerous than the flu. I agree. You're not trying to sell me. I, I get it. But we're seeing a lot more people recover. But I think you have to treat that person. I don't think you cancel football because one person gets sick. Now, there could be a situation where all of a sudden we go back out and infection rates go through the roof, and then we've got to reevaluate this and probably sit back for a while until a vaccine is available. I just don't think that we can isolate, live in isolation, and expect to, to continue to move forward as a nation without people going back to work. There are a lot of people out there that are going to have a chance to get back soon. And again, I am no, no expert on uh, disease control or anything of the sort. But I think it's very interesting that the consensus opinion now is that we will play football. That is, I believe, probably one of the best things that has happened to help the, uh, the maybe the mental health of Americans. Because, you, know, you know, we talk about baseball being the national pastime. We are a football country, okay? It's our sport. We love it. We invented it. We invented baseball, too. But, I know, listen, I get it. It's kind of based off rounders and cricket. I understand but there are more people that identify with their college football teams and pro football teams than they do anything else. We're going to play. We're going to play. Along that revenue stream comment, too, here's another comment from a Power 5 AD. That's a lot of revenue for anyone to give up, especially if you play in a 100,000-seat stadium and 80% of your revenue is tied to football. I'm not sure how Power 5 schools afford losing three to four non-conference games. It would be a major impact for Group of Five schools, too. And that's what we're really kind of getting at. Is everything, and it's one, a lot of people don't understand how college athletic budgets work. You know, and for most programs, for most athletic departments around the country, college football and men's basketball are the only profitable programs that they feature. You know, we recently talked about how Mississippi State is losing over $4 million a year of women's basketball. That doesn't mean that we don't support women's basketball. We do. We pack it out. People are like, I don't understand, Steve. How can that be? When you look at the fact that we, we charge peanuts for tickets, and then we had one of the highest-paid coaches in all of women's basketball, 
you're going to lose money. Not to mention, we're, you know, we're, we're, it wasn't like we're playing our full non-conference schedule right here in the southeastern footprint. You know, we went to Canada. We've been to Puerto Rico. We've been all out of the country several times because that's what national-level programs do. We're trying to go out and get our team some exposure and then uh, have, give them the opportunity to play against some quality competition to get them ready for conference play. I suspect that we may see a correction in that respect moving forward, not just for women's basketball, but I think there are going to be a lot more regional, regional non-conference games. You know, we had Oregon State come in here and play baseball. You know, for some programs out there, they, they may look at and evaluate this as they begin to look at the fact that, you know what, we're not going to have the money we normally had. Maybe we don't need to get on a plane and fly to Mississippi State. So then all of a sudden Mississippi State starts playing, you know, the Louisiana directional schools more regularly. We play more to SWAC schools. You know, I, I think that you're going to see that probably in the next couple of years. I think some of these marquee non-revenue producing sports, even though Mississippi State does make money on baseball, but, you, but, con, but the consensus is college baseball, it, it does not generate a lot of income for a lot of programs. I think for many of those programs, they will rethink their non-conference scheduling at least for the foreseeable future. And say, so, hey, we'll, we'll just stick to our, you know, our border states here and we'll play these teams and we, you know, teams can, we can fly, we can drive in rather than fly in and, and perhaps it's a quick turnaround. Maybe it's just one hotel night stay rather than us being gone for three or four days. There will be a ripple effect of all of this. I think it will also impact football scheduling. I think there's some other people out there to say, you know, listen, you know, we've got to get out and go play football. So we need those guarantees. We're going to need a bigger guarantee or we're not going to come. And so there will be a change in how all that breaks down. To, to assume otherwise, I think, is a bit naive. You know, for those teams in the North, you know, they have to spend basically the, the first month of college baseball season on the road. They might have said, you know what, this is just too expensive for us. We're no longer going to fund baseball. That's a possibility. I mean, it really is. And that's why I think getting football back on track alleviates a lot of those concerns. But there will be an impact of scheduling, without a doubt. There absolutely will be. And, and rightfully so. And a lot of it's not going to be, oh, well, you know, we've we, you know, we got to go in and out of airports. I mean, most of the time it's a charter flight anyway. But it's just going to be economics. There will be the trickle-down effect. But we're going to play football. We're going to play. And again, I think it's important to understand there are some people out there that uh, in the, I have learned this about life, and uh, I think you will agree with me. People only believe the information that is available to them that fits their opinion. And so those that were out there that were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're not going to play football. Well, the only articles that they tweet or retweet are the ones where other people are out there saying, well, we're probably not going to play. And it may be somebody that's made a comment on a, uh, you know, on a podcast or something and somebody runs with that story and then it feeds the paranoia and people get all fired up about it. You know, we had a situation here recently. The, uh, I guess it was just yesterday where a report came out that UConn was saying that, hey, listen, we're not going to play. We're not going to play college football. It's it's doubtful. Well, then all of a sudden, we began to see um, 
we began to see some things change. We began to see some people say, hey, listen, this is not exactly what he said. Because here's the actual report. According to UCTV Sports, breaking UConn President Tom Katsoulis, and I apologize, Tom, if I mispronounce your name. I'm from South Mississippi. We don't have a lot of that here. Says that fall sports will likely be canceled. Current thinking is, quote, current thinking is that likely fall sports will be canceled with the exception of those that can be played at a safe distance, end quote. The president apparently spoke to a UConn journalism class earlier. So somebody just tweets that out. And then a little bit later, this is a clarification. Stephanie Reitz tweets clarifying, UConn press told a UConn journalism class today that decisions on fall sports would be made with NCAA or conference, state, government, and related authorities. UConn fall sports are not canceled, and he says that only happened is only likely only if current conditions persist. So again, the very first report is inaccurate. They don't give you the full context, but they put it out there. And so then what happens is then this student account, this student media account, the reporting was being questioned. It was a student outlet rather than a credentialed media outlet. But that didn't stop people from spreading the news. Oh, my gosh, if UConn says this, and I, and I mean, there's some, some of our fans probably thinking, does UConn even play football? You know, and so I just say take all that with a grain of salt because there's enough blogs out there and there's enough people with hot takes that are going to say things and report things that are inaccurate because they want to redirect your eyes. This is a dangerous time in journalism. I mean, it really is. It's a dangerous time for the American public in journalism, and I'm not going to get political here. But there are a lot of people out there that need views. If you look around our industry, there are people that are constantly being laid off. SB Nation and, and, and many others, I guess it was uh, Banner Society, they announced last week they're putting some, some people on furlough. Uh, as Sports Illustrated has laid people off. Uh, there have been layoffs around the country in our industry, and, and so journalism is not immune. But there are a lot of people out there that, they, you know, they need you to click their link to view their content to ensure that they stay ahead of the curve. And so what that means is you got to report something sometimes that might be pushing the envelope a little bit. You come out there and you say, hey, uh, you know, Power 5 school president says fall sports likely to be canceled. Well, people are going to click that because, number one, who said it? How true is it? What is it? What is What goes into his decision here? How credible is the report? And people click it. You know, if you go out there and you, and you frame up those same quotes and says, hey, UConn president says uh, sports likely canceled if current conditions persist. Well, that's not necessarily breaking any news. But people go out there and they put those quotes out there to kind of you know, drive traffic, to divert your eyes from what you're viewing, because you're going to be scrolling through your timeline. Well, they want you to stop and look at their content. And so they're going to go out there and frame it up the best way to get clicks. That's the world in which we live. And so take all that with a grain of salt. And that's one of the reasons I normally don't ever reference other people's media reports. But Brett McMurphy is somebody that I think that has built up, you know, some credibility, and he works for a reputable news organization, and he went to the trouble of polling 130 Division I football ADs 
He didn't just go talk to one person and form a hot take and put it out there on Twitter. So take some time and kind of realize, okay, the people that are making the decisions about college football, as of right now, they expect us to play football. That's the bottom line. They expect us to play football. And what better way to outfit yourself and your family for this new college football season we're going to have than by visiting Campus Bookmart. Campus Bookmart, longtime sponsors of this show and contributors to this community here in Starkville. Stan Ray, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, they're all happy to see you. They probably won't hug your neck initially, but I'm sure we'll work back into that part of society. And to uh, socially distance yourselves from them, but still enjoy their fine products, you can visit them at campusbookmart.net. By being a loyal Barnyard listener, we'll give you a phrase to page, and that's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Mom, Dad, I'm telling you again on behalf of your kids. Nothing will make us happier than to get home and uh, we get a package with our name on it. And it's got some Mississippi State merch in there. Give the gift of maroon. CampusBookmart.net, promo code BSR. So I promised you guys we would talk a little bit about baseball today. Uh, and then I'll get out of here with some draft stuff. But uh, I want to talk, this is our top ten list. I'm going to give you, if I had to pick, and I started to limit it, you know, say, well, you know, my lifetime or whatever. And you know, I just said, you know what, I'm going to go all time. You know, I've done a lot of interviewing over the last few years. I've talked to a lot of great Mississippi State baseball players. I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on how I would send my lineup out there. So here's to me, this is some of these are very obvious. Some of them aren't. Some of them you will disagree with, and many of them you will be wrong about. So here is my list, and this is the order in which I would bat them. I even had a position change for one because I just tried to go with outfielders, and my right fielder may not have had the best arm, but he had to be in a lineup. I'm going to give I'm going to I'm going to give you the names, and then I'm going to give you a little bit about each guy because some of you young bucks may not know some of the guys that I mentioned. As a matter of fact, two of the guys that I'm going to mention in today's list played before I was even born. The leadoff hitter. Playing center field, number 15 on your scorecard, number one in your heart, Jake Mangum. I contend Jake Mangum is the greatest Mississippi State center fielder of all time. We've had some great defenders. We've had some great hitters. We've had some guys with some speed. I don't know that we've had a five-tool guy quite like Jake Mangum played center. I could very easily have gone Jody Hurst. I love Jody Hurst. I think Jody Hurst is one of the greatest athletes to ever play at Mississippi State. I could have gone Dan Van Cleve, God rest his soul. I could have gone Mike Kelly. But I went with Jake. There are some people that suggest, well, yeah, there's always a little bit of recency bias with all this. Not really with my list. And I think the deeper we get into this, you'll say, you know what, Steve, your list is probably right. Jake Mangum, and I want to mention this to you guys too, Jake Mangum tied for 10th with career batting average at Mississippi State. 10th. As great as he was, he finished 10th. Now, we're going to have a handful of guys that finished ahead of Jake in my batting order, but we're going to start the order off with Jake Mangum as our leadoff hitter. Number two, and a guy I've already mentioned to you, 
He would have been a center fielder in his day. I'm going to move him to left field on my team because I believe Mike Kelly is capable of playing left field. Mike Kelly, and I mentioned to you the guys before, Mike Kelly is going to be in the sequel to Starkville. Once I was able to spend about an hour with Mike on the phone, and it was absolutely wonderful. What a great guy. Mississippi State Hall of Famer. Walked on at Mississippi State. Walked on at Mississippi State. And then became one of the greatest outfielders of his era and one of the best in Mississippi State history. Let me give you some numbers on Mike Kelly. For those of you guys that might not be as familiar, Mike played in the late 70s. He was on the 79 College World Series team. He tells me in his interview for the next Stark Villains book that the 77 team was probably the better team that he was on. That's the Nat Walter team when Nat was a stud. But that team was kind of a snake bit. You know, as great as they were, they just couldn't get a break. And then the 79 team wasn't quite as talented, but it had some good things happen for them. Mike Kelly ties with Jake Mangum with a career 357 batting average. Mike Kelly holds the career record for triples at Mississippi State with 20. To, to put that in perspective, Ted Milton, I really love Ted Milton, 69-72. Ted Milton's also in the coming up Stark Villains book. He is number two on your list with 14. So the probably the guy that is probably the uh, of the contemporaries that have really that's really challenged for triples. Matthew Maniscalco had eleven in his fourth. Brad Winkler, third, eighty to eighty-three. Mike Kelly also the career leader in stolen bases at Mississippi State. Seventy-nine stolen bases, the closest to him, Dan Van Cleef with seventy, Winkler again at sixty. Mangum fourth on the list at 56. So with Mangum leading off and Kelly hitting second, I can hit and run with those guys. I know Mangum is going to get on base. I know Mike Kelly is going to at least put a ball on the ground for me so I can move my runner around. I feel really good that between Jake Mangum and Mike Kelly that I can have men on base with these gunners I got coming up hitting 3-4-5. And I got some absolute studs hitting in the heart of this order. Batting number three and playing right field. Also in the forthcoming sequel to Stark Villains, Rafael Palmero. Rafael Palmero, from originally from Havana, Cuba, based out of Miami, Florida. Rafael Palmero. Rafi, here's some numbers with Rafi that I don't think people fully appreciate. There are a lot of people that didn't live through that time that don't fully appreciate the greatness of Clark and Palmero. You just hear the names and you say, okay, well, these guys are great. Let me give you a little detail here on Rafi. Rafi, third in school history with a 372 career batting average. Rafael Palmero, fourth in run scored, 224. Fourth, 224. Rafael Palmero, tenth in hits, 268 hits in three years. Only, and, that's, and here's the thing about that, too, the efficiency behind that. He had 268 in 183 games. It's crazy. And, and to get the next guy ahead of him, number nine on our list, Brad Hildreth, he had 275 hits in 54 more games. Think about that. Took him 54 more games to have nine more hits. And I'm not being critical of Hildreth. He was, great, he was a great shortstop on the 89 team. Tommy Rafa was on the 89 and 90 team. He only had 10 more hits than Rafi, and he played 218 games. So 35 more games. So you, you see, Rafi was incredibly efficient, incredibly efficient 
with the bats that he had. And also the career leader in home runs. 67 home runs in 183 games. Rafael Palmero. Well, you can't have thunder without lightning, right? And I actually, you know, it, the way that I understand it, Rafi was lightning and Will was thunder, okay? But in our order, and as it was back in 85, Will Clark is going to hit cleanup. You know, a lot of people don't realize Will didn't start as a, the early part of the freshman campaign, uh, you know, back in 83. He eventually won the starting job, and uh, so he was a few games behind Rafi. But here's the thing about Will Clark. People think, oh, he was always such a great power hitter. Will Clark, the career leader in average at Mississippi State, Will had a career 391 average. That's incredible. And you begin to put this thing together here. I'm going to run, and, and I did not include G-Man Mark Gillespie, though I will give he and Nat an honorable mention. I really considered them. I did not have them in my, in my, on my team, but they're worthy of inclusion. Let me run down the the career a couple of career hits leaders here. We'll go, you know, the top three. Will Clark hit 391. Mark Gillespie hit 384, and Rafi hit 372. It's incredible. And not to mention the bats that we were swinging in the early 80s. People say, well, you know, the bats, you know, man, those things were just clubs. They didn't have the technology that we have today. I mean, people started using aluminum bats because wood was so expensive. It was just better to use aluminum bat because it was more durable. We didn't have the trampoline technology that LSU had, not to mention other things they used back in the 80s. So when you begin to you know, figure this thing out, Will Clark hit 391. We didn't play year-round baseball back then. We didn't have all this travel team baseball back then. We didn't have the technology. We didn't have all these hitting centers and these baseball clinics to go fine-tune the game. This guy did it without technology. This guy did it with actual talent. Will Clark is littered throughout the Mississippi State Records book and second in career home runs with 61. Second. Ninth in career bases at 433. I'll tell you another guy I didn't include on this list who had one of the best sophomore seasons we've ever had at Mississippi State, Tracy Eccles. Tracy Eccles is a guy. Listen, when, back in 89, every high school teenage boy that followed college baseball wanted to be Tracy Eccles. Simple as that. He was an absolute stud. Tracy Eccles could make the big play, get the big hit, drive the sports car, and date the pretty girl. Everybody wanted to be Tracy Eccles. So, so a hat tip to him. Number five, hitting fifth in the order as the as um, I guess I have him as a designated hitter. I, I, yeah, I, I get a little confused sometimes with myself. Will's playing first, um, but I got Bruce. I got Brent Rooker. I got Brent Rooker out here. I got Brent playing, and uh, you know Brent had one of the best single seasons in SEC history. So we got two triple crown winners. You know. Brent's career numbers are not exactly what uh, you know some other greats are, but you know he was part of that sixteen uh, SEC championship team. Uh, he was one of those guys that uh, came back the next year and, and uh, had a chance to go pro, but elected to come back and play. And I, I nearly went with Bruce Castoria here. It was between Brent and Bruce Castoria. 
But I decided to go with Brent just because, in fact, he did win a triple crown. It would be wrong not to include him. But, uh, you know, Brent's one of those guys, again, as I mentioned, that uh, had the ability to go pro, came back, had one of the greatest seasons in the history of college baseball. But when you go back and look at Bruce Castoria, and, and he's worthy of admission here, because Bruce set a national record for home runs. Bruce had uh, one of the best seasons that we've ever had, ever, at Mississippi State. You know, hits 29 home runs, which is a national record. Rafi ends up tying that. Uh, and that's when you begin to look at these numbers here. You know, Bruce and Bruce and Rafi. Rafi did it in two less games, 29 home runs. Will Clark had 28 and 25. Rooker had 23. So to put that in perspective, that triple crown year that Brent Rooker had in 17, that's the fifth highest home run total in Mississippi State history. Fifth. And he ends up winning triple crown that year. Number six on my list, and one of the better catchers that we've ever had. We've had some great ones. Okay, I could go Barry Winford. I could go Craig Tatum. Uh, I could even make a case defensively for Dustin Skelton, especially his junior season. But I went with Ed Easley. Ed Easley, Johnny Bench winner, uh, a guy that really, really, really played the game hard. And he was one of those guys, too. Despite that he was the catcher, he was a guy you, you kind of wanted to pitch around. Incredible defensive player, good receiver, got the most out of his pitchers. Number seven on my list, and this is one that I this is one that I struggled with a little bit, just a little bit. We've had some great shortstops, you know. I mean, Steve Gendron's a guy that played a long time for Mississippi State, had a lot of abs, made a lot of plays for us. I went with Matthew Maniscalco. Uh, that's that's my direction. I go Manny. Uh, I think Maniscalco made some plays defensively that a lot of shortstops can't. And early in his career, he was kind of, he was kind of a victim of the official scorer at times because there were some plays that he was charged with errors early in his career on balls that he could get to that the average shortstop could not. And so Matthew improved and uh, was one of a, a kind of a feared hitter for a different. He didn't he wasn't a power guy, but he was a guy that could get up there and work counts and make you pay with extra base hits. Uh, fourth in triples, fourth in triples, sixth in doubles in his career. Seventh in hits, and when you and ninth in runs scored. This is a guy that's getting on base. This is a guy that's making plays. This is a guy that's making things happen. So Matthew Maniscalco is the dream team shortstop for me. Number eight, hitting eighth in the order, and, and this is way down the order from what most people would have him. But you got to find there's got to be some tough decisions, right? But I'm going with who I believe one of the toughest third basemen to ever wear the maroon and white is Travis Chapman. I could have gone Pete Young here, and it's really been a while since we've had really a great third baseman at Mississippi State. We really haven't had that guy at the hot corner that you look at and say, this guy's a superstar. But Travis Chapman was. Travis Chapman was kind of the anchor of this team, and uh, it's kind of an underappreciated bulldog. This is the guy that went out and did some big things for us. It was a real leader for us. It was in the minor leagues forever and a day. But Travis Chapman was a guy that hit the baseball. Travis Chapman was a guy that was a difficult out. He was a very, very good two-strike hitter. You start running these numbers down and and uh, and, and looking at, at what some of these guys did. Travis Chapman, fourth in hits at Mississippi State, fourth as a hitter, second in doubles. 71 doubles, second only to Jake Mangum. 
And so when you begin to put this thing together, I think Travis Chapman had the makeup to be a guy that contributed any year at Mississippi State. I wish we had a Travis Chapman today. And that's all. That's no disrespect to anybody on the current team. But Travis Chapman was a guy that just kind of went about his business, had kind of a, you know, kind of a blue-collar approach to things. He really fit Mississippi State. And batting ninth in the order and playing second base is a guy who was really kind of a utility guy in his career, Burke Masters. And you know, I think, too, when you, I think about some of the hell racers on this team, we might, might need Father Burke to, to help us a little bit, kind of make it through. But Burke, uh, you know, people remember the Grand Slam, the Grand Slam from Masters. Burke Masters was just a great hitter at Mississippi State. Uh, another one of those two-strike guys that uh, just really kind of a punch-and-judy guy. So that's the thing about him hitting the grand slam. He's known for the grand slam, but he didn't hit many home runs. Great defender. Another one of those guys, too, that just got, if you ever caught him doing anything, he was doing the right thing. I almost went with Gator Thiessen. Gator Thiessen was my favorite player on the 85 team. A lot of people say, well, Steve, it wasn't Clark. No, it's Gator. I thought Gator Thiessen was one of the toughest players that we've had in the uniform. One of those people that made always made the tough play, always made the routine play, but he was never out of it. He was just one of those fiery, competitive guys. And I'll tell you, interesting aside, too, I reached out to him. We've had some conversations, and I wanted to interview him you know, for the book. And he goes, you know, he said, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't think that I'm worthy of inclusion in the book. He goes, I think, you know, I wasn't a superstar. I played with a bunch of superstars, but I disagree. I think Gator Thiessen was a superstar at Mississippi State. Uh, Gator also ninth on the uh, the career list for triples, but a guy that really played hard and probably an unsung hero on that '85 team. I mean, you begin to kind of run through the numbers, and you know we all we talk so much about Thigpen and Brantley and and uh, and Palmero and Clark, but man, we had some absolute studs. On that team, you know, Dan Van Cleve was a guy that uh, defensively was one of the better players that we've ever had uh, in the outfield. But um, so many great players had some great catchers over the years too. But um, when I think about Gator Thiessen, I feel really good about those times. I don't, and that's one of the things I think about too. Is as good as we were offensively, we don't get credit for being the defensive team we were back in '85, and Gator Thiessen was a big part of that. So we got to try to pitcher or two out there. <clears throat> And, I, and I, I decided to go with two. And chances are none of you have seen one of these guys pitch. But any time that we get a chance to talk about college baseball and talk about Mississippi State, I think we owe it to ourselves to remember that we played college baseball before 1985. You know, people forget we went to Omaha, 71, 79, 81. You know, we had been to Omaha a few times before <laughs> we had uh, – before Clark and Palmero were on the scene. But there are a lot of Mississippi State fans that kind of, they kind of feel like, well, you know, it all kind of got started. Those guys put us on the map. No, we were already on the map. You know, Coach Paul Gregory and his staff did a tremendous job at Mississippi State for many years. And, uh, you know, I'll be so glad when Coach Gregory is uh, properly honored on the, our wall of our circle of fame out there uh, at Dirty Noble Field. But when I begin to think about, you know, some of these great teams we've had, you know, the 1970 Mississippi State SEC championship team didn't get to go bring their seniors to the regional that year. And, and Mike Prophet and those guys did the best they could, but our seniors couldn't play because, and this is detailed in Stark Villains 1, 
is, um, you know, we couldn't play the seniors because there was uh, the whole deal about the SEC played freshmen before the NCAA allowed it. And a lot of people expected the NCAA to change their ruling. They did not. But the SEC pitcher of the year that year was Brantley Jones at Mississippi State. Brantley, career-wise, Bradley Jones won 27 games in 35 starts. He had 36 appearances, only one of those in relief. So 27 wins, 35 starts, and in 1970, he goes 9-0 with a 1.51 ERA, pitched against to, to clinch the SEC Western Division against Ole Miss. That's the famed whole thing about uh, him getting into it with the Ole Miss crowd after the game. And then it's the SEC Pitcher of the Year, and we go on to beat Tennessee to win the SEC title. So I'm going to go with Brantley. But my number two pitcher, and, I, and I, this is, again, these things are important to me. And you, you listen, you those of you that love Mississippi State baseball, you owe it to yourself to do a little research. That's one of the reasons that I feel so drawn to write all these books, because I want to tell our story. And I'm getting deeper and deeper into the Mississippi State baseball history. But this is a name here that uh, never really gets mentioned. And that's Frank Montgomery from the 1962 Diamond Dogs team. 1962, we didn't win the SEC that year. But Frank Montgomery was one of the most dominant pitchers in America. 10-0 with a 0.68 ERA, which is second in school history. He allowed just seven runs in 92 innings pitched. He had a 1.79 career ERA from 1961 to 1963. That is flat out getting it done. There's only been a couple of pitchers that had 10 starts or more that had uh, a perfect record. Ross Mitchell, your other, 13-0, All-American. So those are my guys. I want to remind you, too, if you're looking for Stark Villains, you can find Flim Flam and Stark Villains at StarkVillainsTheBook.com. Go today. Matter of fact, the next Stark Villains book, I'm not even sure what we're going to call it yet. That's going to be there, too. And uh, I wrote a chapter on Sleepy Robinson yesterday that I think is one of the greatest things I've ever written. I can't wait for you guys to read all that. So switching back over to football here, before we get out of here, Mel Kuyper, of course, has uh, released his uh, his power ratings and uh, you know his hot board. You know, this, these are the top 300 players that he believes will be drafted. He didn't have – I haven't seen his full mock draft, but uh, – you know, the SEC, fans that hate the SEC will probably hate the NFL draft because we're going to have a ton of SEC guys drafted yet again. But uh, so he has Cam Bansler as the number 70 prospect. That puts Cam right around the third round. There's some people project him as a second rounder, and again, it only takes one team. He has uh, Tyree Phillips as the number 83 player in this draft, which also is third round. Most teams that I've, most things that I've seen mock wise have him in the mid rounds. But Tyree Phillips is one of those guys. I, I think Tyree Phillips is a guy that you know, the light has kind of come on for him. I could see him play for 10 years if he stay healthy. Willie Gay, according to Mel Kuyper, number 87 on his hot board. That also puts him in the third round. And, again, he is a guy because there's, his testing numbers are off the charts. But there are some teams out there that may say, you know what, hey, there may be some character concerns here. I don't know that that's fair. But I think you have to look at the totality of the resume there. And the kid has made some mistakes. And so he's a very intelligent, articulate guy. And so I'm sure he did well in his interviews with people. And I'm sure that's one of the first things they asked him is, hey, what happened with all this? Uh, I don't think that, that should be a life sentence for Willie Gay. 
Darrell Williams currently 177 on Mel Kuyper's hot board. That has him around, around the fifth round. I think that's probably a little bit low, but as I mentioned on Wednesday's show, you know, he's a guy that's limited position-wise. He has to be a center. There are a lot of those interior linemen that can come in that can be a swing guy, and I know that Darrell played some guard uh, here at Mississippi State. I just don't think you can get away with that with his size in the National Football League, and that's really the only knock against him is his size and he's limited position-wise. He also has Chauncey Rivers, Mel Kuyper does, has Chauncey Rivers number 255 in his 300, which has him as a seventh rounder. At that point, you know, you want the guys to get drafted, but it's almost like the m- amount of money they're giving them, it's almost better to be an undrafted free agent. Not listed, and guys that I think that are getting some draft buzz are Brian Cole and, and Stephen Guidry. You know, my concern is when you turn on the tape with Stephen Guidry, you know, it's like it, it, he looks good in workouts and you know, he's got some decent numbers at times, but uh, he had almost as many drops as he did catches. And that's not hyperbole either. He is a guy that really, really struggled to catch the football. And some of that was when he was flashing across the middle. He is a guy that I believe, if he had been at Mississippi State for four years, I think he could have been an, an all-SEC type guy. But he came in and it took him a while to get here, and it took him a while to get going because he didn't have the benefit of spring practice that first year. And for junior college guys, a lot of times it takes about half a year to get it figured out. I think it took him a little longer. Uh, but I do believe that he will go to camp with somebody and have a chance to make the team. But uh, his film hurts him. And I really think some of our quarterback play the last two years has hurt him as well. There were a lot of times on crossing routes he'd had to try to make an acrobatic catch and a ball thrown behind him. And so... Uh, you know, we'll see. But in the National Football League, they're not going to accept that as an excuse. And not to mention, there was a couple of tip drills that Stephen Guidry was a part of that led to interceptions. Brian Cole is a guy that uh, athletically really fills out the uniform, and I think that he's probably a guy that will sign with somebody and probably make it on special teams for a while just because of the fact that uh, he will run down there and blow people up. And he is a guy that has been a, a very solid contributor special teams-wise. Uh, here at Mississippi State. So that's kind of how I see it, and then we'll see. But, again, you know, the draft starts uh, Thursday night. I guess it's uh, 7 p.m. Central. It'll be broadcast on ESPN and Info Network. Everybody will have it. And it'll be great to be able to sit down, kind of like we did on Sunday night with the Jordan Last Dance first couple you know episodes, and be able to talk sports. This also, I think, is you know another indicator, but to kind of get us excited that we will return to football at some point. We're going to look back on this time, and I think we're going to say, you know what, this is, we learned a lot. We learned a lot about ourselves. We learned a lot about what we missed, and we also learned a lot with our, our medical and, and health community. And uh, I trust those people to make good decisions for us. And so, again, there has to be some personal responsibility. One of the things that I get really tickled with are these people that uh, get upset about uh, about people wanting to lock things down. You know, they go, lock it down. Don't do this. Let's take some personal responsibility for yourself. If you want to stay home, stay home. If you want to wear a mask when you're out at Walmart from now on, I, I certainly respect that. And it's interesting. Paul Jones made a kind of a funny observation yesterday. You know, nowadays, uh, you know, two months ago, if you walked into Walmart married a mask, you'd probably get security on you. People would look at you funny. Nowadays, it, it's the people who don't wear the mask at Walmart that get looked at funny. And so um, it is what it is. And so the bottom line is, is that we're all moving forward. We're all hoping for a better day tomorrow. And uh, there is a lot of news out there that will depress you if you let it. And there's other news out there that will uplift you if you let it. But as we began the show, we talked about there will be college football. And the people that make those decisions and the people that are you know, part of that decision-making process 
believe there will be football. And that is one of some of the best news I think we've had in a long time, is that the people that are responsible for putting a football product on the field are very optimistic about us playing football this year. And we need to play football, not just because of the fact that our cities and universities and communities need the money, and not because it puts other people back to work, but because I think it helps our collective psyche to understand that we are going to have a normal life at some point again. It's, it's going to be a little different. But I think college football is what brings us together. And just like Bill Clay said on that great SEC Saturdays in the South thing, I, I watched episode two again yesterday, is after 9-11, he said he had this discussion with some attendant at a backwoods gas station in Alabama and said, we're going to play Friday night football, coach, because that's when we huddle. And that's when we come together as a family and as a people. And we can put our differences aside and unite behind our kids. And that's kind of how I see this thing with Mississippi State. You know, it's like Mississippi State draws all of us together from different backgrounds. And, and there, the, the chances of all of us getting together in a bar and having a drink and getting along are pretty slim. But, man, as long as we're talking about Mississippi State, we find some commonality. We, we find some kinship in supporting the Diamond Dogs and the, the football Bulldogs. I mean, that's what we are, you know, that's what unites us. And I think we need some of that. We need that. And so I, my hope is here in the next couple of days, we can all cheer for our Bulldogs that are uh, NFL draft prospects. And that'll give us some relief, too. And then we'll have some draft stuff. They're still talking MLB draft. Is it five rounds? Is it ten rounds? Yeah, I've talked to Chris Lamont a couple times. They, they still haven't decided. You know, but uh, but either way, we're going to have some great players come back. And, and there's some things i got to figure out on the roster. But uh, we're going to play sports again. And uh, I didn't realize, you know, nationally, you know, perhaps uh, what this did to our mental health, you know, not having the distraction of sports. And it's something that I will never take for granted ever, ever, ever again. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.